Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 221 for Monday, November 28th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorus, and joining me as always is my good friend, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello, and if you would like to hear a bit more about Pokemon Violet, uh, or Scarlet, or both, uh, in the render distance, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Supporting at any level will get you access to the extended version of the podcast. Uh, I also got a chance to meet a couple of the community members over the weekend, and I talked about that in the render distance as well. You can also, as a patron, get the monthly Minecraft Hangout for November, which we recorded on, uh, published on Saturday. Uh, that is out on the RSS feed for patrons. And you can stay tuned for the December schedule adjustments. Uh, that will include when and if we're doing a hangout for December, because later in the month, of course, is closer to Christmas, which is normally where we do the hangouts. Uh, but also Johnny and I tend to record a couple of episodes ahead of time so that we can have a Christmas break and visit family. So keep in on the Discord channels for updates on the schedule for the Spongebob's. Let's check in about our Minecraft lives, Joel. What's new with you on the Citadel? I have completed another area on the Citadel, and I'm very happy about it because it did not take very long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I have been working on, uh, I guess, a series of things that I just kind of decided were builds between builds. Uh, I was working on everything between the inn and between the uh, barracks, I guess, the north barracks. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I have been working on a Fletcher. So kind of like a shop and a house where the person, I guess, building or making or selling the bows and arrows and stuff uh, was um, was living, but also selling the goods. Uh, and then we also have um, the, the kind of the dwelling, you know, next door. And then alleyways that kind of like snake in and around. Uh, I had a storehouse stairs that go up to the towers both outside and inside uh little happy accidents like putting together the barracks bunkhouse where bunches uh, of wall guards or, or shoulders might sleep and then realizing oh i could just put a hole in the wall and they can walk right into the tower without having to go outside mm -hmm. uh, which i thought was kind of cool and uh and then the last little bit was another kind of like storage shed that acted again as access to one of the, the building towers but then once all these little bits were done uh, including a practice yard outside the barracks bunkhouse where, you know, I had a bunch of like hay bale dummies set up and um, was able to use the data pack that I have to like have like an axe embedded in, in a hay bale and arrows sticking out of the target block. So it looked like someone had left their arrows in the target block, stuff like that. And after all those details were finished, I was able to go through with everything done on either side. I could texture the path. I could add little greener rebits here and there. Uh, really happy with a small custom tree that I threw in just like next to a staircase because like everything was feeling very gray and I needed to add in some things to, to break it up. And anytime I could add some color, I would. And one of the other things that I thought was a fun little uh, trick, I guess, was using three trapdoors, waterlogging the bottom one and then making it look like a barrel that was collecting rain was then being siphoned down the wall into a cauldron at the bottom by using um, cobblestone walls that looks kind of like a, a pipe, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a gutter pipe. So all kinds of little details like that. They were the kind of projects that would be finished within a stream. Uh, we'd move on to another section. You know, I'd finish the bunkhouse, move on to another section. And then the last stream on Sunday was just like kind of going back and forth and back and forth over the area and just kind of like tweaking little things, changing the texture of the ground, 
moving a bush, you know, uh, adding in custom tree roots or um, my favorite trick in some of these smaller paths is to use a stair block at the edge of the path when there's a lot of greenery around it. So it kind of makes the path look a little bit more narrow and a little bit more chiseled away. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that kind of stuff really came together and I'm really happy with it. So um, I'm moving on to one of the now the larger builds in the area that still is like just like roof scaffolding uh, that keeps on showing up in my screenshots as an eyesore because like it's the only <laughs> roof that's not done. That's motivation. So, that's uh, that's yeah. how you get yourself motivated to do stuff. It's like, oh, I could take a good picture from this angle, but I still haven't finished that. Well, dang it, I have to finish that build now. <laughs> and in some of the screenshots, you can see my rainbow of shulker boxes that's in the alleyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I'm trying to move those. Well, they're going to stay there for a while because the, the house I have to build is right next to them. So like, there's no point in moving them. It's so convenient right now to just move, move and build that other thing. So I'm down to the, to the process now of like, I don't know what else to add. Like there's a couple more places that need houses. I guess they're just going to be houses. Uh, they don't have to be any kind of like shop or any kind of theme. I think I just have to make them a different color or for me, it's probably gonna be more like I should probably try to make something round or make something with a different shape that I'm, I'm normally doing. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to the point where I'm on the final check boxes of like, you know, running through the whole town and making sure all the insides of houses are done, making sure I haven't forgotten any road texture. The road texture thing is I've been saving it to last because you want to make sure that everything on either side is finished before you start messing with the road. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I I love the fact that you're you're kind of running out of stuff to do in a way, and like th hmm. that that's a a sign that you've really exhausted the stuff that Minecraft naturally gives you. Because we think of starter bases and stuff like that. Sometimes you'll build a house that you do the brewing stuff in, and a house that maybe like belongs to somebody who manages food, and that's where you keep all your food. And instead of having a centralized storage system or a centralized base where everything gets done in one room, you tend to split stuff up for the sake of having different houses. But once you run out of those things, you're really having to innovate and think about the lore of the world and like trying to piece together what other occupations and vocations are required for the area that you live in uh on my kind of christmas list right now that whenever anyone's like what should i buy you and i'm like i don't know i'm 35 like it's, it's kind of difficult to come up with ideas i i read a thread the other day from somebody who specializes in designing video game environments and specifically cities and i'll try and find a link to this twitter thread because it was a great list of books to study if you're interested in city building and there was so much about infrastructure and grids and variations on grids and how modern cities are planned and histories of specific cities. And then his own book, the one that he was promoting as a result of this whole thread really, uh, was a book about video game environments specifically. And I want to read all of those now because nice. when I run up against a wall like this where it's like, I don't know what to add to a, a city project or I don't know how to start planning a city project in the first place, I think we can learn so much from examples from the real world and histories of how those things have built up over time. Oh, for sure. And, I, and I've definitely made some mistakes in terms of like the location choice and Try, trying not to change the landscape and and trying to go with the way that the natural um, riverscape went. And mm -hmm. there are definitely some odd shapes and it doesn't seem like from above, it looks very odd. There's a very strange kind of like bulb at the bottom where I've kind of like forced the wall around the church. And like, I because I just kind of got myself into a corner. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. And and so I, I think there's a bunch of different things that could be changed in, in that light. 
Um, I, I still have a long way to go. I've got uh, some outside stuff I have to do, like bridges and farms and things like that. But that'll be a nice break, too, because those are a little bit um, easier to do a bridge that's not next to anything. Because then you can just make it be whatever you want. You don't have to blend it in with the surroundings. But Especially with you having gone from a large project to several smaller projects, and now you're going back to a larger project. I think it's a nice way of pacing yourself, just to make sure that mm-hmm. some of those little things that you're like... I'm confident enough in my abilities that I can knock that out in an afternoon or a couple of streams or whatever it yes. happens to be. Like, I think yep. that's, it's important to keep a couple of those in your back pocket in case you get burnt out on building like a, a castle keep or a big house or a church or whatever it happens to be, you know? Yeah, the keep is something that I built very early on and the inside is not done because I think subconsciously I just wasn't happy with the outside. Yeah. And I definitely want to make it feel more robust. It, it It's big, but there are other things now And I've gotten so much better at building in the medieval style that I think, you know, I should just like take the top. I like the bottom part, but I could take the top off the keep. I can probably add another floor to it of stone and then start getting into into some other stuff and have like a couple of different towers on towers. Lean a little bit more into the fantasy side of things than the medieval because it is supposed to be a medieval fantasy town Mm -hmm. and and have it um, be a little bit more hanging over the river and and definitely something you can see for miles and miles and miles whereas right now you can see that it's the tallest thing but it's only the tallest thing by a little bit not by leaps and bounds and i kind of want to emphasize that a little bit more and there's also a bunch of data pack stuff inside the keep that has stopped working because it's an old version so i have to kind of do a once through there anyway um the the thing that i'm looking forward to but will take the longest is going to be going through the streets texturing the streets but then also adding the things like you know a hay wagon or you know, like stuff on the side of the road signs or, of life yeah yeah like that kind of stuff like maybe even a, a market stall thing that that just kind of unique to the area that kind of stuff is just going to take a while and it's the kind of thing you can't really plan you just kind of have to walk back and forth and go like this needs something there this needs something there it's something that i'm used to from trying to finish a drawing you know like you're you're working on an art piece and you've got it all colored and it's like it still needs something you're trying to mess around and trying to figure out what it is that it's missing and it takes a little while And ultimately, I just have to wait until I'm satisfied. And I know that I'm a perfectionist and I will, I can let myself noodle at things a little bit too much. So um, that's why it's, as you said, nice to have these smaller things where rather than getting caught up for weeks, you can just be like, no, this is something that will not take that long because the path is only two blocks wide. Like you can, there's only Mm -hmm. so much texture you can put into that before it starts to look noisy and you just have to walk away. So, um, so it's been a good exercise and I'm looking forward to what's next. I'm going to have to like re-educate my Minecraft brain. If I wanted to go back to the modern city or yeah. build something else, I'm going to have to like, my Pinterest board is going to have to change dramatically because I'm just <laughs> like, I don't even know. But that reminds me of what you said about architecture. Like I might look into getting an architecture book for modern architecture, like for new buildings, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, at least for photo reference, I think stuff like that is invaluable. And we can get plenty of photo reference from like Google and whatnot, but I think there's there's so much to be learned from a little bit of extra context that gets applied yes. to it from it being in a yeah. a big old chunky textbook or a, at least like a, a nice a nicely uh presented photo book for sure. Yeah, I'm more interested in in the why as like behind the yeah how does it look like i want to know why the staircase is all on one side of a building or like you know because it's either fire regulations or it makes for the living spaces to be less cut up like all that kind of stuff like i i want to know more uh, about that so what have you been up to in minecraft i've actually been avoiding city building entirely i've avoided my base for the last week um, and so I've been working a bit more on the Wither Skeleton farm. It now has a second spawning platform, and the platform is three crossroads worth of a nether fortress, so 
it's very effective now. I, I added a couple of little optimizations uh, using skulk sensors to detect the sound of the wither skeletons falling down into the farm, and that kind of activates the piston that pushes them on into the next section. Uh, worked with my Twitch chat on a couple of those. They had some very good suggestions about how to how to you know respond to some of the stuff that was doing where the jams were occurring when too many skeletons got caught up in one place um so i was optimizing that a little but the reason i've been avoiding my base is that uh one of the uh the visitors to the server uh cub fan decided to embark on a bit of a story thing where he's become possessed by the skulk and he went around the entire server at least the populated areas of the server leaving skulk catalysts under the ground and what happened as a result was that a bunch of areas of the server, including my base, became infested with Skulk very quickly because it wasn't just situations where a player would kill a mob and the mob would leave Skulk everywhere. It happens in occasions when the mob wouldn't normally drop XP. We think of Skulk as being tied to XP, but if a skeleton or a zombie burns in the sun, for example, oh, that right. still spreads the Skulk. And, you know, them dying from fall damage would do the same thing. So passive means of them dying weren't yeah you know, were still triggering all of these skulk catalysts and so that story arc is in the process of being resolved the videos are coming out today and tomorrow i think so uh so we're already done with it as far as the the actual server goes but i didn't want to spend too much time at my base because a bunch of mobs were dying around there if i went underground to refill my copper aging machine and that kind of stuff so when i come back to the surface it would have a night would have already passed it would be the next day and then zombies and stuff would be burning and the skulk would be spreading everywhere um but luckily having light matica on this server has proved another solution to this problem because while it's it's fun for the sake of a story but the cleanup is kind of awkward to deal with if you can't find the skulk catalysts immediately you're effectively just having to paper over it all with fresh grass and stone and whatnot and having built with um you know natural blocks a lot of the time i'm building with natural stone for some of my buildings that have been there for a while and the the detail has worn out of them over time so i end up with a lot of those building blocks getting converted into skulk and chat uh over this weekend uh, twitch chat taught me how to use the uh material verifier in lightmatica which what that does is if you superimpose your schematic over the area that you are building in it's basically a way of having it check which blocks are missing from the schematic and which ones are wrong and just highlighting those blocks. And so all I needed to do was update the schematic of an area. Like I took a, a giant box schematic of my base and I changed what block to look for in terms of the skulk catalyst. I changed that to a dirt block. And so all of the skulk catalysts would appear as incorrect blocks in a schematic of the whole area and the good thing about that is that you can see the schematic stuff through the ground and so i was able to effectively highlight where all of the skulk catalysts were and go and dig them up systematically instead of worrying about all of the trial and error digging for them wow so, that's nice yeah it's really really helpful thing so i'm now going to start selling that as a service to everybody else on the server who's been afflicted with nice. the same thing um but obviously like as, as part of a story it was kind of a, a fun challenge but yeah people were not wrong when they said that when cub starts like grinding on something and gets an idea in his head he takes it to an extreme there were i think oh, two yeah. shulker boxes worth of skulk catalysts farmed from like a warden farm that were placed throughout the server they're in the nether they're in the end they're all over people's bases and it's the kind of thing that i think 
his intention was that this stuff would kind of pop up every so often and it would be this kind of thing that you know we're shaking our hands at the sky and going cub fan every time we see a, a skulk thing pop up but the reality was it spread really fast because we're all online right now getting stuff done and doing projects and we can't always sleep as soon as it reaches nighttime. so we ended up with the skulk spreading i think a lot faster than anybody expected it to uh, Kija in our chat is saying 3,240 yeah. skulls mm-hmm. catalysts placed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot. That's I mean that that's not long if you're AFKing at a warden farm. Like that's that's pretty easy to get hold of with you know a couple of days. Going around and placing them must have been a heck of an effort. But then that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like but, I, but, there's we need we need a new a new word. Like there's pranked and then there's cubbed. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> and and the thing about this one is like it's it's if it weren't for the fact that it's cub and we do all of this stuff for story and you know for videos and stuff, this is just griefing at this point. Yeah, like it's fair. it's it's very borderline, and a lot of folks in the community have been like side eyeing this and going, "Is this okay?" And like, obviously, I want to stress that it's all in good fun, and we have, mm. as as you can see from the the light matica example, some very sophisticated ways of getting hold of that stuff. But you also don't want to see stuff like that popping up on servers where people. People think it's okay because somebody on YouTube has been doing this. It's like, right, we're all yeah. people who play Minecraft full time. We have the luxury of being able to, you know, figure out ways of managing stuff like this. Um, but what it led to in the first instance was Joe Hills, who's been helping me work on the museum stuff and is building a security system because somebody else recently broke in and stole one of my exhibits, right, in, in the story of the thing. Um, he was around there quite a lot, and he was there when the skulk started spreading. And so he dug up a bunch of the paths around my base trying to find where the skulk catalysts were placed. And he was mostly digging up grass blocks, so it was nice and easy to put them back, but... I returned to my base looking like it had been shelled because there was just like right. dug up earthworks everywhere and stuff. And yeah, it, it's it's the kind of thing that it's a fun distraction and it makes for some different content when normally what I would be doing was building. But it's also like a, a week's worth of stuff that I was thinking, what should I build next? I can work on some stuff. Wait, suddenly I'm putting out fires everywhere. Yeah, I. it's funny. I, I find it interesting the, the combination of like the effort that goes into these extra things that aren't builds, you know, the things that are events, we'll call them server events. And sometimes that involves building something, but a lot of the times it's more about collecting the resources, uh, doing the thing. And I think another really good one was like the, the Hermitron go that I think Ren did uh, yes. a few seasons mm-hmm. ago where you had to go around and collect stuff. Like that's just really fun, but it's a lot of work because the prizes have to be worth it. And the prizes yes. have to be collected. And these things, it's not like you're just, placing a shulker box somewhere like it had to be covered in glass and it had to look a certain color and sometimes it had to be hidden like you could that kind of stuff takes a lot of effort and i am always like flattened by just how much time uh folks are able to put into things like that but then on on the other side too i also admire uh the exploitative nature of smp servers uh, that Uh are usually youtube based because like you've discovered this great way to rid your area of the skulk and instead of just telling other people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is how you could do it. It's like I'll do it for you for a fee. Yes. eyebrow wiggle. Like, yeah, yeah, just... yeah. No, I, I, I put, <laughs> I, I put it funny. to them that way in the Discord. I said I can either, like, I can 
I can teach a man to fish <laughs> or you yeah. could just pay me for the fish and that would be fine. And they're like, yeah, no, we're, we'll be fine paying you for this, I think. Yeah. Um, speaking of Rendog, actually, one of his latest kind of collect ups is specifically targeted at me where he's got his first like 13 significant items like his first wooden pickaxe his first piece of cobblestone that he mined with that he's basically saved all of those and renamed them like they're a collectible set and then he sold one of them to basically every other empire and so i've got to go and buy them back so that i can get them for my museum and so now like <laughs> i effectively owe everybody a favor or something so that i can have the full set and i think my favor is probably going to be getting rid of the skulk for them so it all like it ties itself up in a very neat package at the end of the day and it's kind of fun to be able to connect the dots and and throw together all of this and none of that has really been planned in advance between carb and ren and everybody else it's just the stuff that happens spontaneously as a result of working with these creative people with too much time on their hands nice let's move on into today's news we have minecraft java edition 119.3 pre-release 1 and 2 both of which were released during the week we'll have links to the changelog over at minecraft.net they share a changelog because one is just an iteration on the other so as far as 119.3 pre-release 1 goes, there are a few technical changes, adding new entity sub-predicate types for axolotls, boats, foxes, mushrooms, paintings, rabbits, horses, llamas, villagers, parrots, and tropical fish. More information about those can be found on the changelog article. And I don't want to explain it here because it's a very technical thing that I'm not sure I fully understand. But basically you can split up each of the entities based on their different varieties, like the different types of axolotls, the different materials of boats, that kind of thing, and apply stuff to those specifically. Uh, there's also now a fill biome command which supports a filtered mode and a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, we also have player heads now containing a note block sound field. When present, this determines the sound a note block makes when the head is placed on top of it. So as an expansion for the mob heads idea with note blocks that we discussed in a previous episode now, player heads can be imbued with different sounds using commands and data packs and that kind of thing. Fixed bugs of note in 119.3 pre-release 1 include villager pathfinding being broken in water, that's now been fixed. Certain mobs also couldn't get out of water that was at least two blocks deep. Some pathfinding issues with axolotls that commonly hesitated when avoiding danger and occasionally started pathfinding into dangerous directions. And baby piglins and zombified piglins taking damage when they hit their head on a block. All of those and more have been fixed. Once again, the changelog in our show notes is where to go for the full list of bug fixes. Moving on to pre-release 2, the changes in 119.3 pre-release 2 include when tabbing through buttons, tooltips are displayed above and below them, so a good accessibility feature for folks not using a mouse as frequently. Tooltips displayed when hovering are displayed next to the cursor. Tooltips from focused buttons, focused by pressing tab, take priority over tooltips from hovered buttons, and they've optimized some exceptionally slow cases of structure lookup. A few more fixed bugs of note in pre-release 2 include bees getting stuck on non-full blocks, creepers could not be ignited with a fire charge previously, and some shorter mobs could still attack players on camels. There are a handful of other bugs there, but we just wanted to pick out a few of the ones that uh, made sense to us <laughs> more than anything else. Uh, but that is it as far as the pre-releases go. They are still targeting, I believe, December 6th for the release of 119.3. And it's important not to confuse that with the release of Minecraft 1.20. So we're going to commit a little bit of our main discussion this week to talking about the differences between those. 
I do find it funny that some of the shorter mobs were attacking players on camels, and that would be the opposite of what you would think. You would think it would be the taller mobs that could still reach you. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. It would be very, it'd be a very odd experience when the zombie would come up and not be able to reach you, but a baby zombie would be able to hit yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, the you know? baby and, zombie just kind of jumps up and attacks your ankles in the stirrups. Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised and, and happy that they have not added any kind of jumping mob like that. Like, I'm glad yeah. that baby zombies don't leap at you because they're already fast enough. I don't need them to be airborne. One of my first thoughts when they introduced the camel and they said zombie height mobs can't reach you, I thought, okay, so you can just sit in the nether on a camel and have a, a bunch of zombie pigmen come up to you. And right. it turns out that when you hit them with a sword, they get up in your hitbox because they take a little bit of like, they get a bit of extra height when they are knocked back by the sword. So you really need right. to have a knockback enchanted sword for it to be effective. Otherwise they leap up and hit you before that you can before you can react to them, which is always a little bit hectic. Yeah, so you got to push them back out of your out of the melee range right mm -hmm. yeah yes yeah you you, uh, you can't risk colliding with them because they they hit very hard <laughs> um yeah. so the player head sounds change is really cool um great for folks who don't mind working with data packs and other custom features uh i think i saw a zoomers video on this he had some really good examples of just you know sound files that he'd either got from the game's code like just looking up sound effects the way you would with a, a vanilla command block or you could import them using a resource pack and, and a data pack and have your own custom sound effects applied to it, kind of in the same way they've been doing with goat horns and music discs on Hermitcraft Season 9. So there's some really neat applications of that. And I'm going to talk a bit in the main discussion about introducing more ambience and more soundscape into builds. So this is another really interesting way of doing that. I can see a lot of really cool stuff for either RP... Or just server silliness, you know, like if you wanted to have, if you've got a sound bite that is particularly funny, um, particularly if you're a content creator, you know, like if you've said something silly, like you've mispronounced a word and it becomes a thing, you've you got know, a like catchphrase or whatever, catchphrase, yeah, yeah. in-joke, something like that. Um, I, I think that that could be, that could be very, very fun. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know because it's so stationary, the goat horn thing, at least you can bring it with you. Whereas yeah. with this, you'd have to bring like the player head and the note block and you have to power it and like all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a little bit more involved, but I, I can, I can see it for things like mini games. Like I think about Tango Tech and Hermitcraft that has the, 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 the different mini games that he does and, and having a custom sound, being able to make something feel spooky, you know, especially mm -hmm. if you're not in a particularly spooky biome. Like if you're not in the nether that has creepy noises, but you want creepy noises, you could even just like take nether noises and assign them to a player head. And then you could have like that basalt kind of crackle and creepy ambiance that happens in the nether, but then have mm -hmm. it happen in your evil kingdom tower, you know, or, or whatever it is that you're building. I, I like the flexibility. It, it involves a little bit more, you know, behind the scenes stuff, but I think having player heads and having already uh, things assigned to heads and a functionality in game like the skeletons and the creepers and the zombies that we got in the last um, snapshot I think that gives slightly easier access like having a simple resource pack that you apply that has the sound for a player head that changes it or any other mob is a lot easier for the average person to implement than it is to do like command blocks or data packs and stuff yeah. like that yeah, absolutely agree. And I, c I can imagine there being some really good like vanilla tweaks packs for this as well before mm -hmm. long, like ones that go along with the more mob heads data packs so that every mob head that you can acquire 
gets you the sound effects for that mob and not just the skeleton zombie dragon the ones that are native to vanilla minecraft so yeah there's there's lots of really cool stuff that you can do with that um sheep scalibur in our live chat is saying that slice lime has some very good examples i tuned into slice lime this week uh, for one of the other things that's covered in this changelog which is playing around with the fill biome command and he was filtering it by a set of categories that he had predefined i think using a custom coded data pack of his own creation where he was filtering by seasons and so when he was adjusting the look of a forest he could apply a a fall forest season to that and it would automatically adjust the biome so that it had the biome colors of something like a savanna where the leaves became more yellow and you, you could apply badlands to that a little bit as well so you could make the leaves look more dead and there, there were some really interesting ways of doing it and obviously that's like oh they're adding seasons to minecraft now probably not uh, but i think there's a really neat way of allowing players to mess around with that stuff without having to learn entire new external tools it's the type of thing that world edit would be used for most prominently and this feels like a pretty significant change to allow players that level of customization from within vanilla without the use of community made tools like that i can see it being a really good tool for just um workflow for map makers even just creative players that are just treating minecraft like a canvas and just yeah one, you know you, you get this one area like i've got it right now like i've got a taiga biome and a sunflower plains biome that connect within my town and i have to be very careful and i have to change the kind of bushes that i decorate the paths with because once i get into the taiga biome the grass is mint green and nothing else goes with it <laughs> you know yeah I, uh, or if i'm using azalea bushes that don't change with the biome i have to switch up to something like mangrove which has been great because mangrove is a great new block that does change with the the biome um, but like I've, that kind of thing, having control over that, if it was something that you were doing a map for, or even if it's just something as like, you've just put in so much work into a big build only to realize that there's like a desert or something that you didn't realize crept across a river. And now you like your one custom tree in your magic courtyard is brown because it's in a desert. Yeah. Just, you know, you could just use this feature to just paint the desert back by a dozen blocks and then you're you're fine problem resolved having these tools i think is is great for people that are okay with stepping outside the survival vanilla gameplay and just like fixing things that are just making their eyes twitch or as i said you know map makers and content creators in that light i think are also enjoying these technical changes across the board like not just the biome fill tool but then also all the different variants and um sub predicates that you mentioned in the notes as well yeah yeah definitely honestly like thinking back to my one chunk builds days i would have used a fill biome command if it existed in vanilla to try and emulate the desert foliage colors and stuff for a desert build instead of yeah. building it all in a creative flat world where everything was a plains biome and not having any variation in that and then having to remember that oh wait the different leaves are going to be different colors so i can't build with something that looks lush and green if it's oak leaves because when players build this in a desert the leaves are going to look brown so right. I, I think there's there's a lot of flexibility in that that feels like it should have been there for a while but i think it's a great thing that it's there now are we ready for some email i think we are yes let's move on to chunk mail if you would like to email the show, you can send that into spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep them short and sweet. It increases the chances of getting on the show. This email is from Imp Imperfect. The subject is tuned note blocks with heads. Hi, Pixel Rips and Joel. 
I just listened to the most recent episode. And one of the things that stood out to me was this concept of tuning note blocks with heads on them. I personally don't mess with note blocks that much because tuning them is a real pain with the mechanic of cycling back around if you misclick. I like the idea of note block playing different sound effects by turning, tuning them. And I am now wondering whether note blocks need a GUI so players can tune them more easily or if I'm only the one that thinks this would be useful. I used to think that chiseled bookshelves needed a GUI too, but now that we've got targeted slots, I don't see the need for a bookshelf GUI anymore. So maybe note blocks could have a similar mechanic? Question mark. I'm curious as to what creative mechanic you guys can come up with. Imp Imperfect was blown up by a creeper while trying to tune his creeper note block. Yeah, I think the a lot of people, a lot of people are going to be doing that. I, I have a feeling. Um, this is certainly a, a a topic we've touched on before. I'm pretty sure we've talked about a note block, uh, GUI idea in the past. But um, yeah, we may as well rehash that because it's been a while to my recollection. It, it is something that we have talked about, and I knew that when I picked this email. However, however, what I liked about the idea that uh, Imp Imperfect has was the comparison to the chiseled bookshelf and the targeted slots uh, being something that might be applied to a note block. The only issue with that, I would think, is that uh, dividing a block in Minecraft into six slots is okay. But, I, you know, there's, what, 18 or 21 different? 25. 25. 25 possible notes, yeah. 25 possible notes in a note block. That, you get really granular there. That's, that would be <laughs> yes. hard to specifically click. Unless you're doing, like, all... I guess not six sides, probably like four sides in the top. So five sides out of the note block. Uh, if if that is what it was, then you could potentially get the the right number of um, of notes in there. But again, like that depends on whether you can see that side. It just becomes a whole other thing. So I feel like while the idea of having some sort of external GUI uh, would be helpful it may also um, be limiting because of the established functionality of the note block. I do think a GUI for note block is something that I, I've wanted forever. Even if it is something um, as simple as indicating to the player what note you're on so that you know you only have to click like four more times to get to the right thing. Like getting feedback as to where you are in that 25 note range, I think is is the first step. The next thing for me would be to actually have a, a GUI and allow players to program it by clicking it a specific thing. Because the thing about the round the horn mechanic for me, it really is one of the things that dates Minecraft. Like it feels very early, you know, yeah. like it, it, it really feels like something from a long time ago. And there's other things that have been implemented into Minecraft that have streamlined, still feel like Minecraft, but still work in a much friendlier way for the player uh, the stone cutter is the first thing that comes to mind right yeah yeah uh, definitely I, like and, and so i think comparing those is a, is a decent way and and having something like that like imagine even if it's because i would say that having a gui for a note block would be more educational like if you put a piano keyboard or if you put a grid of of notes or displayed in a way that somehow helps people even be more familiar with music, how the music notes are laid out, where they are in the scale, like that kind of thing visually, I think would be, would be beneficial. And I know that you can add like texture packs and data packs that will change the display of the note block, little notes that float above it. I still feel like a, a point and click GUI would be better than the dial. Cause like 
the last time I had to go around the horn like that would have been on a television converter. And for people that don't know what that is, that would have been a digital remote channel changer that you'd have attached to a TV that did not have a remote that had a dial on it, an old CRT that you would have to change the dial to change the channels. And if you went digital, and if you went from channel 11 to channel 12, if you wanted to go back to channel 11, you had to go all the way around <laughs> to go back to channel mm -hmm. 11. Yeah. Uh, yes, it dates me, but like just a, it, it was that long ago, the last time I had to deal with that kind of mechanic. So to have it still in a video game in 2022, I find very, very strange. Here is a counterpoint to that. Uh, Right-clicking on a note block is the way a lot of redstone contraptions have an input signal these days because you end up tuning it. That's a block state change that can be detected by an observer and that leads to the, mecha the mechanism triggering. You can't do it just by playing the note block. Uh, so, so there's a couple of block state changes you can do, but tuning it by right-clicking on it is one option. So if right-clicking on it opens a GUI, then that you know nix is a lot of really neat little uh redstone interactions that it's possible to do with it obviously you could shift click on it and that would be another option but there are situations in which a player is going to be forced into sneaking and clicking on stuff so there's there's some some interesting like fringe use cases there that i think might have mojang steering away from using a gui element and i feel like they also historically speaking they've tried to steer away from introducing guis as we now see with the the chiseled bookshelf so here's my thinking one of the things they could do with this is if they implemented some kind of note block tuner redstone component um imagine like you've played bass guitar before right did you ever use like an yes. electric guitar tuner like where you plug oh, it in yeah, yeah. and, and mm -hmm. it can it can show you that so i wonder what if it was like something about the size and shape of a redstone comparator and you sort of plug that into the note block you have it input into the note block but the strength of the input signal tunes the note block without necessarily playing it and then you could have some kind of visual interface there for what note it's playing and the way you get around there being 25 possible notes and only 15 or 16 if you count zero redstone signal strengths is that you have something like switching a comparator from additive mode to subtract mode by right clicking on it and that switches octave in mm, the mm -hmm. in, in in the note block tuning so that there are like little ways you could do that having like a note block tuner or a tuning fork or something like that as a component which allows you to more automatically tune note blocks and then what you could do with that is have a couple of neat ways of tuning a note block mid song so that when the signal that's playing the note block loops back around the note block has actually changed note silently in the background and then you could program a single note block to play one tune instead of having a whole string of them right and that potentially gets you around some other things like for example um like the way note block sound is directional and the further you get from a note block the quieter the note becomes until you can't hear it anymore after a certain range and if you want to play a larger song you really have to pack it in tightly to a larger uh, to to an area uh, otherwise like i i think i've seen videos of this in the past where players basically have to follow their note block song around a track on a minecart because they've got so much stuff going on there and they're not reusing the same notes they're playing all of the notes in sequence so i think there's some really interesting like redstone problem solving stuff that could be put into having 
a, a mechanism that tunes a note block on the fly for you was was what i came up with in, in response to this email i like the idea of taking your redstone and pushing it further and i don't know if this is technically possible in game but the one thing that i feel is missing i shouldn't say the one thing one of the things i think is missing from note blocks in the game is the ability to have more than quarter notes like having whole notes half notes like a, a longer held note yeah and sustaining I, notes yeah yeah i think that having redstone perhaps powering the note block to a certain level could could affect like if it's between one two three and four could affect the length of the held note sure. that could be really interesting um but that then like that kind of counters what what you would be doing so maybe there's another way whether it's having the the block on top of something uh having um i guess it would depend on minecraft's ability to detect blocks below it so if you put glass under a note block with one block then it's a single note but if you put four blocks of glass under a note block then it would be a longer sustained note of that whatever that musical instrument is i think it's the wind chime or something like that for glass yeah but like i i feel like there's some ways that they could make the note blocks more robust in game and allow players to get really creative and inventive i i know some players that are very technically minded and and musical and would have an absolute field day getting into like more robust note block changes i just don't know if they implement those changes if they would then have to add some sort of gui somehow to just make it not be as tedious you know to to go around because I, I know I see what you're saying with the redstone powering it to change it, but I, again, you're still dealing with like laying down a lot of redstone. The, yeah. the good news is there, like if you have to change something, you have a visual of either how much redstone is being laid down visually in the ground, or you've got a chest and a comparator, and you've got like, well, for example, like the new chisel bookshelves, like that would be fairly easy in terms yeah. of like you know getting your power output. I mean, I guess it depends. If you wanted to leave the books in so you could visually see what the note was, great. But if you're using the same technique that you were using on your Copper David machine, then you'd have to remember what note block you left at one and three and five and six and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but then you could have hoppers adding and removing books from the bookshelves. Oh, yeah. It, it has this really neat Rube Goldberg snowball effect of like, what can you do by yeah, tweaking the, the the pitch remotely? You end up with something like uh, Look Mum No Computer, who we've kind of mentioned yes. a couple of times on the podcast now with like having all sorts of different contraptions that play the music in a, a seemingly analog way instead of having to reproduce it digitally. Um Going back to the, the heart of this question, though, the note blocks notes are block states and people have used them for a variety of alternate textures and stuff. Uh, so I figured surely there was a resource pack somewhere out there which displays the note on the texture itself. And there is. If you go to vanillatweaks.net, of course, uh, go to the utility tab under resource packs. There is a pack called visual note block pitch, which adds two screens to the note block, one with the tune number and one with the pitch so it's a lot easier for people who are either you know musicians who will understand what the the letters and pitches correspond to or just how many times you've right clicked on it will show up on there for you so if you're struggling with note blocks and you want to give that a try it's a very easy resource pack it's not going to be something you need to install server side or anything i reckon that will be uh worth using but the default feature of the if that was a default feature of the texture though it reduces their utility as a building block which i think is probably why mojang is resistant to changing that texture on like a vanilla level 
I am now remiss that I have not been using the multiple textures of a dope block in my medieval build. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, I think I saw Jermsey Boy do this ages ago, where you can you can have a variety of different like crates and barrels and stuff like that. Back in the day, before barrels were even a thing, I think people were doing that in like one thirteen. So there's a lot of different options for something that has twenty five separate block states. I have just a single crate, right? And yeah, I I was thinking like even if I was to add a couple more crates, you'd have to be careful because like when someone comes through without the texture pack, then or the resource pack or data pack, depending on how complicated it would have to be, then it would just be a bunch of either regular crates everywhere or it would get too... I, I often battle with that. Like if it's got 25 different options, that kind of opens up a sky... Sky's the limit of like how many cool things because I could I put in, in Minecraft to the point where just it wouldn't even look like vanilla Minecraft anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, a slippery slope. Uh, let's move on to Kokoridaki's email. This is email number two. It comes in from Kokoridaki, a longtime correspondent and landscape artist member of our Discord. The subject is peaceful options for the end and elytra. Hi, folks. The discussion on recent episodes around changes to peaceful mode have got me thinking. The main thing stopping players on peaceful from getting to the end is the lack of blaze rods, right? I like the suggestion in episode 220 to add them to the loot tables for nether fortresses, but I had another idea. How would you feel about Mojang adding settings in world generation to make all end portals generate already lit? This would allow peaceful players to get to the end without having to go to the nether first, which I know can be a scary place for some players even on peaceful. It would break the game progression just a little, but considering there's not much else to get from the nether for progression's sake aside from nether wart for anyone who wants to brew potions, I don't really think skipping the nether is a big deal. In addition to this, what if there was an option to have all end gateways around the main end island already generated, with no way for peaceful players to get ghast tiers, exploring the end with only one gateway after killing the dragon could be a huge pain, so having the gateways already generated could save players a lot of work. All that aside, since there's no way for the players to get an abundant source of gunpowder, I think the lack of firework rockets would be the next limiting factor for peaceful players, and unless they're willing to learn the old technique of using a punch two bow to pick up speed, I'm not so sure the elytra would actually get much use beyond gliding down from high points. Kokoridaki died because he forgot to make sure his punch two flying bow didn't have power five on it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. That was Hermitcraft season four, I think. They they kind of started using that punch bow technique, and th you just see them flying around or landing at each other's bases full of arrows, like absolute pincushion, porcupine, etho, or whoever would like land at mm. somebody's base, and it was it was not a great look. I'm so happy they implemented firework boosting at the end of the day. I'm so used to it now. Like I forget when I play an early game Minecraft, like if I go into a snapshot, I'm just like, oh, right. I don't have Elytra. I can't just jump off of something and glide down. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, as much as I like taking off with them, it's it's usually like the jumping off of something and not having to climb down slowly that, yeah. that I really, I really, really miss. And I have to remind myself, especially if I, it's one of the reasons why I've not tried hardcore. So like, I know that it's not going to be a mob that kills me. It's going to be me jumping off of something. Yeah. And and not realizing that I don't have boots on and I don't have an elytra. And then just like, well, that's the end of that hour and a half setup, you know? For sure. So I know that I know that you've got some thoughts on on this because we touched on it last week. Yeah. So um one one point of order here, nether water is not the only thing you need to be able to brew potions. You still need blaze powder because that's the fuel for the brewing stand. And that's something that I think we take for granted in survival now, but for a while it wasn't the case and then they added in blaze powder as a necessary ingredient so regardless of whether or not the end portals are open you need 
you know, if if you want to give players access to potions, then you'd need to have some access of blaze powder anyway. So even if they wanted to skip the nether and come back later, when they come back later, they're not going to have access to that area of the game. And I feel like giving players access to the end, but still not giving them access to potions, feels like a really odd compromise <laughs> when one could so clearly lead to the other, if you take the, the right approach. Um... The other thing about world generation options is that they're all very well, but once again we have the issue that some players are going to toggle their world between difficulty settings. You're going to start the world on easy and then change it to peaceful later. And if it's a world generation setting that allows for the end portals to already be lit, you would have to commit to one or the other. So like on a uh, from a baseline perspective, I think it's, it's difficult to really gauge how people are using peaceful mode. I think that's one of the things it's tracking in the new telemetry settings that they've introduced with these most recent snapshots is what game mode you're using, what difficulty setting you have, and how long you play for. And that way they can get data on how many people are actually playing in peaceful and might benefit from stuff like this to begin with. Yeah, I agree with you about the world generation thing. I think that as a difficulty toggle or something like that, I think it'd be better to provide in-game tools rather than seeing a toggle at will gen. gen. Um, you know, would the dragon be more painstaking to defeat? Yes, but the trade-off is that you're in peaceful mode and nothing is attacking you. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it's 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 not harder, it's just going to take you longer. And I think that that's kind of like, it's, it's the trade-off of like mining stuff manually versus doing a farm like you know it, it's you know the we always talk about the time in versus reward out and i think that that's the the trade-off there um i do think that i like the suggestion of a way to get blaze rods or blaze powder via loot tables from last week more than um something like uh, a world gen toggle but what i also think is missing as kokorodaki pointed out are things like alternate either loot table uh, fines for guest tiers uh or the um the the gunpowder recipe if there was an alternate way to get gunpowder then even if it's harder again it's the same thing is it harder to get gunpowder in in peaceful yes with this new recipe but the trade-off is again you don't have to worry about creepers blowing up your stuff mm -hmm. so I think that there's kind of like that that back and forth. I think one of the other suggestions that we had was also like having aggressive mobs in the game, but just not be aggressive. And then that you could still do creeper farms, but you just wouldn't have to deal with the explosions. But I guess that's the other thing too, is that we had those tweaks to, to creepers as well, where you can do it either with a data pack or there was also... Um, more like settings toggles where you could change the creepers to like just not blow up your stuff they, they, yeah. or not not kill you or vice versa you could set them to do whichever and so i there are things like that but i guess one of the things i mean that kind of all points towards like data packs and 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 those kind of things when really the question is about like vanilla minecraft like what settings should vanilla minecraft have to make peaceful mode more accessible and i i agree that i i don't think that the end portals should be pre-lit but i like the idea of having an alternate loot table system or alternate recipe system for some things or and i would be okay with that alternate recipe for something like gunpowder being available in all modes right mm -hmm. and just have one be like creeper farm is one way but if you want to play survival with your friends but you really don't like mobs and creepers well then you'd have the available 
I'm not sure what it would be, coal and some other thing to make gunpowder. You know what I mean? But you'd have to dig it up manually. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, borrow it from someone's um, wither skeleton farm. Yeah. If, if you are interested in playing peaceful mode and you still want to get to the end, there are seeds out there that have a fully lit end portal as part of it. And I know this because I've taken a peripheral interest in Minecraft speedruns in the past and the current set seed world record speedrun which is less than two minutes, uh, takes what? place in a world where a stronghold portal is already lit and you effectively spawn yourself into a village which has enough obsidian or you can get enough obsidian from the surrounding environment that you go to the nether through a, a nearby ruined portal. You build another portal that takes you directly to the stronghold and then seconds later you're just in the end portal because you, you know exactly where to go to get to the portal room. And... It is entirely possible that there's basically a percentage chance for each of the portal blocks around the end portal to be filled already with an Eye of Ender. And in most worlds, the odds just aren't in your favor for getting a fully lit end portal, but it's not an impossibility. So if you look into seeds that have pre-lit end portals, I'm sure there are plenty of places that you can find that online. If nothing else, just go to one of the Minecraft speedrunning discords and ask for that seed that they use for that specific world. And you'd, you'd be able to do it. So I think the world generation option idea also affects stuff like speedrunners. And if, the, if your main concern is how quickly you can beat the game, you can effectively just roll a bunch of seeds with that same, uh, that same idea, that same kind of um, pre-lit end portal everywhere notion. And then, you know, it, it completely opens up that to to more seeds than just the set seed that they use currently so i i feel like there are there are some things that necess shouldn't necessarily be part of vanilla world generation options because it, it sort of makes it less fair for for people who are doing the the slightly fringe ways of playing the game like speedrunning. Mm, mm -hmm. moving on though uh let's do our november roundtable we each decided to bring a different discussion topic for a shorter discussion each this week um I guess you'll go first. Why don't you go first? Um, these are both kind of peripherally related to stuff that we've already talked about, but uh, I think yours is maybe a little bit more of a segue from the news and stuff that we talked about earlier. And a little bit shorter too, I think. Uh, I want to give like props, of course, to Mojang for the clarity of communication on expectations on 1.20 uh, and 1.19.3 and the early communication that they've been separating 1.20. 19 dot oh, sorry separating major and minor updates but i have been having trouble keeping things straight and i do a co-hosted minecraft news show yeah. <laughs> weekly and I, I i this came into my mind this morning as i was talking with uh steven on the way home from the gym and i was explaining the differences between the two and it could have been that we were both tired from the gym, but his eyes were glazing over. And I was just like, yeah. he's he's savvy. Like he's a Minecraft player. He streams. He's like, I, I think that uh, there is a little bit of, of I don't want to say confusion, but it's it's the keeping things straight. You know, like I understand that there are some flagship features from Minecraft Live, like chisel bookshelves, hanging signs, camels and bamboo that are not coming in 1.20, right? Like I, I remember that, but I don't remember exactly what's coming in 1.19.3. And I think some of the problem comes from the way that they're being uh, tested. So you download one snapshot for 1.19.3, but you have a 1.20 data pack that you can then apply to that. 
And so you can still play the 1.19 snapshot, but then also have the experimental features. And again, calling them experimental features is a great way to say, this is not 100%. Don't get married to this because it might change. But I think that it may be, and this is me saying this without the understanding of how technically difficult it would be behind the scenes. I'm wondering if they should maybe have two separate snapshots, like one for 1.19.3 and one for 1.20. Um, yeah, because I, I get them convoluted. Now, in some situations, they've done a pretty good job of separating things out into separate articles. The note block mob head was a separate article that came out like just after our show one week ahead of the snapshot. And was like, hey, here's this new thing. It's going to be a 1.20 feature. We're looking at implementing it. Let's test this out. Uh, and it's going to be included in the next snapshot experimental features. But uh it's, it's not such a big deal. Like it's not a hanging sign. It's not a camel, you know? So you don't look at it like, Ooh, wow, that's fantastic. You kind of think like maybe that should be something that could be implemented in 1.19.3. And yeah. I, I feel like where the waters have been muddied a little bit here as well is that in the pre-release for 1.19.3, yeah. we got that play ahead note block sound change, which is a change that's being applied to a feature that we're not getting until 1.20. Exactly. But that's, but that's being released in a pre-release for this update. And so it implies that anything that's in a pre-release changelog is going to be going in to 1.19.3, which, as far as we are aware, isn't the case. Azuma mentioned this in his video on the subject as well. So this was also on my mind, and it was a really, a really good thing that you decided to bring this up. And I find, too, that once you get to the actual snapshot, like if you look at the previous snapshot, I think it was 46A, there is a, here are some things that are, you know, changes in 1.20. But then right after that, there is the changes that are happening in the 1.19.3, but there's not a big bullet. Like they need a graphical separation, I think, in yeah. even the news article. Uh, because ultimately, because it's a data pack that's included in the snapshot, it's one article that lists all the features when the snapshot actually comes out, as opposed to separating things out into two separate articles. And so, again, I know that they're doing their best to communicate clearly that these things are separate. And and I, I am not confused that they are not separate. I'm just having trouble remembering what's happening in 1.19.3 uh, and 1.20. It's also a mouthful of numbers to yeah. just like to get a, your head around or your tongue around. But then on top of that, a lot of the features which are welcome in 1.19.3 are either bug fixes or sweeping technical changes like the predicate stuff, uh, the telemetry data, like all this kind of stuff. It's the kind of thing that we truncate greatly on the news show read because it's so complicated. And after a while, even as you read it, your brain just kind of fuzzes over and like you're just regurgitating <laughs> syntax and, and setups and variants and all that kind of stuff. And it's a lot. I don't want to dismiss the level of update that 1.19.3 is. I'm just saying that because of the heart emoji gobbledygook <laughs> that I'm seeing in 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 the in the notes because I don't understand a lot of the back end stuff uh, I find it difficult to then remember what is in 193 so I'm wondering two things the the kind of elevator pitch is like do we need a 1.20 and a 1.19.3 snapshot separately or do these minor updates from from Mojang need just one flagship thing like one new feature 
you know, I'm not saying that it should have bamboo or hanging signs this time around, but I'm saying like something that could be brought in new that would be small, but would still allow people to say, oh yeah, the, the note block update versus the bamboo bookshelf update, you know, like just because people ultimately stop assigning the 1.20 and they start thinking about it as like whatever is the most prominent feature, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is where having it be a single long changelog article kind of doesn't work in Mojang's favor. And Agreed. watching creators, even, you know, employees like Slice Lime making videos about some of these changes really helps to clarify things. And I'd be surprised if there is anybody out there in the community who is just reading the paper changelogs and isn't getting some kind of video demonstration or diving in for themselves to see what's there and what isn't in, in each of these. But I, I do think it's a shame in a way that so many websites these days have just defaulted to everything being one long scroll, probably because it's easier to read on a phone or something like that, because you could have two columns, and in column A would be the 1.19.3 stuff and the stuff that was specifically pertinent to that, and in column B could be 1.20, and that's all you would need. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the, the new approach to minor updates has made it difficult to determine which changes are going to be arriving in the dot three release and which are arriving in the big major update release it also doesn't help that 1.20 doesn't have a name yet so the only thing we can refer to it as is 1.20 and after a while we just feel like we're reading numbers in order you know we're just going 19 20 21 um yeah it, it's it's a bit of a mess right now and i think the mess is largely because we're dealing with pre-releases at this stage for for an upcoming an upcoming dot release we're kind of clustering all of our thoughts around that instead of looking towards a big like tentpole flagship release in future um and that's just the nature of the way they've split things up i do think both mojang and the community are going through a learning experience right now mm -hmm. about communication and like you said the first part of that has been accomplished very well and that's the setting of expectations not revealing features before they are ready for players to play around with and setting expectations for this may still not make it to the update because these features are experimental. I think what's lacking currently and what can still be improved upon if we can learn from these experiences is how they communicate the distinction between minor releases and major releases in these larger changelog articles. I think that's the, the textual communication of that stuff still has a bit of a way to go but I, I think it's it's going to get there. It'll just take a bit of time. And the other thing that I just thought of, we've talked about perhaps the naming convention on the major updates for Minecraft, losing the word update from the title, mm -hmm. you know, rather than the deep dark update, it could just be called the deep dark. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and if doing that remove, like, so the major update is called the deep dark. But then these point one, two, and threes could be the deep dark update one, the deep dark update two. And that's a lot easier to keep straight, you know, just verbally. Now, the the all the same things that you just mentioned totally apply. You'd still have to figure out how to separate out all the little granular things. Um, but even visually on, on their Minecraft.net articles, like I'm looking at the Minecraft 1.19.3 pre-release two, and it's got piglins on note blocks. Piglin heads on note yeah. blocks. Like that's yeah. not coming until 1.20. So like it's it's the the visual art is different 
than than the actual thing that they're talking about. So like I think that that is some of the little nuance that you don't notice right away, but then when you when I recall the article, like I remember the art at the top. It's like yeah, but that's not in the update. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think with regards to the you know deep dark update one deep dark update two they might have shot themselves in the foot a little bit by having to split the caves and cliffs update which for the record i still think was the correct decision but there are already so many jokes about like 119 being the caves and cliffs update part three because it added the deep dark i kind of worry that the cynical side of the minecraft audience is going to take that meme and run with it and then be like oh well this is just like caves and cliffs part four then you know that kind of thing so Mm. i i I worry about that stuff and they probably shouldn't be making the decisions based on people just making meme jokes but (laughs) there you go like these are these are people with their finger on the pulse hopefully of what the player base wants so I think they're eventually going to arrive at a way of communicating this that is better for everyone. It's just still, uh, they're they're still in a position where they're learning what that is. Yeah, I agree. So talking about the sound of the new updates, uh, let's talk about the sounds in game. That's kind of what I wanted to bring to the table this week with more blocks getting unique sounds in recent updates. We're, we're kind of now at the position where we're getting more control over the soundscape of our bases instead of just the visual effect of the materials that we're using and i wanted to start a conversation about detail beyond just texture detail in the audio environment as well and how much do we or should we consider this when building i'll start with a question for you joel how much have you built with amethyst since it was released uh not very much i think there's a little bit of amethyst in my copper zombie farm because it's next to a geode Mm -hmm. and i had to mine out a bunch of amethyst to make it you know a viable um amethyst crystal farm but then i also decided to decorate a little bit with it but i don't think i'm walking on it yeah Um, but but i've seen it i've seen it used where you want to like build it so that you can walk around on it and then maybe hide it underneath a carpet so that you don't it just sounds like magical sounds are happening when you're walking along. It doesn't actually give you the visual cue that you're on Amethyst, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I'm still looking for places where I can use Amethyst that way. I've seen it happen a couple of times. I think in one of Iskel's, I think maybe the Season 8 Hermitcraft base, he added some amethyst under moss carpet in a more green environment and it's still kind of it felt like magical grotto vibes and i think Mm -hmm. that was a really neat way of using it and i'm still looking for places where i can make some additions like that to an area um around my base on empires i've been mixing mud and mud bricks into the paths that lead around which also have stone stone bricks and grass um, and the sound of my footsteps is changing constantly. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing. I think it's a really neat way of letting the player know where they are and what kind of environment they're walking around. Because I imagine as you walk around West Hill, you just get the same footstep sounds pretty much everywhere because you're walking on stone and stone bricks and andesite and like all the different kind of decorative stone types at that point. But then if you walk around my ruins, there's a different soundscape to being there and it feels a little bit more overgrown just auditorily um whereas if you go down into the catacombs then you're walking on stone constantly and and the environment sound changes um i was also spending a lot of time in a nether fortress working on this with a skeleton farm and i really like the changes they have made to the sounds of nether bricks the fact that you can walk on them and they sound different you break them and they sound different to breaking stone bricks in the overworld 
I think nether blocks in general have their own soundscape now. You think about mining basalt and blackstone, and those all have different sound effects too, and I think it really helps the nether feel like a more complete experience, especially after the 1.16 changes, adding biomes and everything, but also adding to the, the soundscape of the nether, ambient sounds playing a part of that, but also the the active sounds playing a part of that, the foley of the nether, if you like, is is really solid. And so I'm hoping that that's a trend that continues, and I want to draw people's attention to it as an opportunity to bring a soundscape into your base and start to use that as a means of guiding the player around. I, I was looking at this in the later episodes of Survival Guide Season 2, where I was trying to guide players experience and have like alcoves to go off into the 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 side walls of a cave but also guide players along a critical path by laying it with cobblestone so you follow the more textured looking blocks in order to get down to the elevator that's going to take you to the next level and another way you could approach that is to effectively say you know if you're still hearing the tinkle tinkle sounds of you walking on amethyst then that means you're following the critical path through this area and you're going in the right direction. You can use that idea even for mazes. If your maze is completely flawed in carpet, you can give the player a, a subtle clue to the fact that they're going in the right direction from the fact that if they walk off the correct path, the ameth amethyst sound under their feet could stop. And I think there's there's a lot of different ways to do that, that I'm, I'm trying to work out where I can make those distinctions and, and what's really going to help. It's really interesting because since I started using it a while ago, uh, I've turned it off, but I used to use a mod called Mambience on the Citadel. Uh, several of us were using it specifically for like footstep noises. And I really liked the extra air whoosh that it mm -hmm. gave you when you were using your Elytra. I ended up turning it off because I found it very distracting. Uh, but I think that that is part of the thing where I don't know how much this has changed because it's been several game versions since I've used it, but I usually find with this kind of mod that it's either all or nothing and it's kind of hard to, they don't give you enough granular control to like turn off certain blocks or turn off footsteps or whatever. And I remember, I think I ended up turning off the footsteps, but I kept everything else because I'm the kind of person that really enjoys like if I'm playing a mod pack and there's like echo in the cave, you know, uh, or if you've got like extra wind or weather noises or things like that um, birds in forests we've talked about that on the show before and that yeah. kind of thing in mambience was really really cool but very often you don't have the control that you have um if you're doing something like amethyst or messing around with like having dirt blocks or planks or wood in different places and i i agree with you i i, I having just heard you go over it now you're right the nether has a very unique very all-encompassing kind of like everything in there has a very different feel like it reminds me of like when you're walking through like a crimson forest there's all that like squeaky crunching under your foot like yeah it's kind of like that weird kind of foliage squeak that happens and it feels alien it feels very weird and it gives you the impression of this is not super solid what i'm standing on like it kind of it's it's squishy and and I I like that. Uh, I think Skulk does the same thing. Yeah, or... Skulk Skulk. Uh, I've had a lot of experience walking on that lately, Joel. And yeah, it's definitely got that kind of like squishy, fungusy kind of sound to it as part yeah. of the the ambient footstep sound. Yeah. 
it always reminds me of that scene from Empire Strikes Back when they get out on the asteroid and they're inside the asteroid monster. And <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, inside the, we... the kind of space worm thing. Yeah. yeah, they're standing on a tongue and they're like, why is the ground so squishy? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I think that that's that's really cool but by doing more with it in game and giving the players the control i think the only thing there is that it's tough when it's a cool noise with a block that you can't always use and therefore you have to cover it with carpet like amethyst like yeah i like amethyst and i like the noise it makes but i'm not always going to want the shiny sparkly purple block in the floor you know yeah so i kind of wonder whether they could increase because i know for example if you put soul sand under a plank you still feel the effects of the soul sand right you still walk slow yeah but you're uh, still, i've made yeah you're i've made that design error yeah yeah i've made that design error uh in my nether paths and i remember i was running away from a gas and all of a sudden i got real slow i was like what's going on i'm on cobblestone but then of course the inside of the path happens to be filled with um soul sand for visuals from the side but it also that that effect goes through the slab so i'm wondering if they could extend the noises to go through slabs as well if that would give players more ability to have different noises underfoot but then also have um different visuals on the top you know yeah and it's certainly an option and one of the things that really excites me about the new mob and play ahead note block stuff is that there is now an opportunity for players to not have to worry too much about materials because with a little bit of cheeky note block technology and some player detection whether by skulk sensors or by other means you can kind of import your own soundscape if you've got let's say the vanilla tweaks mini block player heads if, if you grab those from the wandering trader or however you manage to get them they could be a really neat way of expanding on the soundscape of your base without making compromises on building material if one of those amethyst mini blocks on a note block nearby plays chimes occasionally when players are around despite them not actually walking on amethyst blocks Mm -hmm. it could also be a way to totally confuse players if you wanted it to be like imagine walking around a base and hearing note block sounds of somebody else's footsteps nearby you know to the left or to the right or something it could be quite creepy if you use it in specific ways but I do think there is opportunity for players to have a bit more raw control over that without having to compromise on materials. And so with this note block, like player head change, if players want to implement it a certain way, they're really going to get the best of both worlds. They'll be able to add to the soundscape of their base whilst still keeping all of the materials the way that the aesthetics, the way they want them to look. I like the idea of having that controlled environment because the first thing that I thought of was like walking in the front door of an old creepy mansion build and having that door function trigger a note block somewhere that plays like a flight of bats, like fluttering out of the belfry because they've been startled by your approach in, in the house. Yeah. And you you hear that in films all the time. You see it in video games all the time where like there's a planned situation where you're sneaking around and you're trying to get into a base and they've purposely put a flock of birds in your path that are going to yeah. fly up and cause a bunch of ruckus. And you're going to be like, oh gosh, like I just made a lot of noise. Did the bad guys see me? And it's not really meant to trigger the bad guys. It's just meant to make you feel like, oh, I should put really you on edge. Quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it's meant to affect your experience. And I think that that would be really handy and really fun to do in Minecraft because you could do a lot of the things that would be very complicated to add in game from a 
like adding a block that makes a noise or adding a thing, uh, a mob that makes a noise, being able to add sounds of those things, like having squirrels chirping and birds chirping in, in a, in a forest on note blocks is way easier to do than adding birds and squirrels in the Minecraft. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I would love to have the ambient noises of the dodos in my like frog light tree area on yeah, empires yeah. without the dodos needing to physically be there as though they're just kind of through the trees on, on the opposite side. And I'd probably have to do a bit of funky sound design to actually make the dodos noises. Cause right now they just sound like horses, which they are, but there you go. Um, that's where we're going to leave this episode of the spawn chunks folks, but you know, consider the sound of your base this week. Um, you can find more information about our show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the The music for the show is composed by me. The spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any any level will get you an invite to the patrons only discord chat you can participate in the live show recording as it happens every week you can listen in and our monthly minecraft audio hangout for december may be rescheduled but you'll be able to participate in future ones if you stick around we're currently at 340 patrons which is steady on from last week special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spun Chunks, and they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can also email the show at spunchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on the spunchunks.com and find the patron only rss feed on the patreon page that's where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is johnny but online i go by pixorifs you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash where empires smp and hermitcraft are still in the midst of an epic collaboration i also stream three days a week on twitch doing behind the scenes work for my youtube series and i'm the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search aside from that i'm at pixorifs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online Everything I'm doing online can be linked through joelduggan.com or just search Joel Duggan on your favorite platform. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. That is at, you guessed it, thecitadelcafe.com or your favorite podcast app. Had Alistair on last week. We talked more about The Crown and we talked about one of the biggest Lego builds that I've seen in a long time. The tallest Lego build right now is the Lego Eiffel Tower. So we dug into that a little bit. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and of course Joel Duggan on Twitch where I am pushing a lot of Minecraft lately trying to get more work done on West Hill. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and that sounds good to me. (laughs) 